You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, good morning. Thanks for listening. It's Thursday, the 2nd of December. Bright, frosty morning here in TW11. A little later in this programme, I'll be talking to trainer Kim Bailey, who's unleashing his stable star first flow for the first time this season in the Fitzdares Peterborough Chase on Sunday. I'll also be playing you an excerpt for an excellent interview conducted at Tattersall Sales last night by Gina Bryce with Peter Stanley, who was talking about, on one hand, how great it is that we're selling horses for a lot of money. On the other hand, how, as he puts it, British vendors are selling the family silver abroad and what the implications of that might be. I'll also be talking to David Letts, who's the chair of Racing with Pride, about the initiatives tied in with the Racing is Everyone Sport campaign that will be across all UK racecourses on Saturday. But clearly, first of all, we need to take stock of what's been happening both in the High Court and at the British Horse Racing Authority's hearing yesterday. Lee Mottis had his back with me. I don't know quite, Lee, what you've you've done to, to deserve this, but I'm very grateful for, for your input anyway. You spent yesterday chiefly monitoring the Robbie Dunn hearing at the BHA, where we moved forward quite a bit because you actually got off a full day of evidence giving. So, so tell me what happened yesterday. Well, yesterday, Nick, in many ways was, I suppose, the, one of the, the big days in this hearing because it was a day when Bryony Frost was present um, at the BHA's High Hobart headquarters in London. She gave evidence uh, for most of the day. She was uh, heavily questioned by the barrister representing Robbie Dunn, Roderick Moore. And I suppose for what felt like about three hours, I think, over different sessions, she gave robust answers to a series of questions. De- the defence barrister's job in a situation where someone has been accused of bullying somebody else, I suppose, is to discredit the other person. And the the significant line of Roderick Moore's questioning was to imply that Bryony Frost, in a way, was mistaken and that she hadn't been bullied and that it was actually teasing and that in her head she'd made it into a bigger deal than it actually was. And I think watching that played out over a long period of time, I found quite uncomfortable. Um, and I thought that Bryony Frost handled it very well indeed over, the, over that period. She did become emotional um, on a number of occasions. She became a particularly upset when recalling the instance at Kempton, where um, Chris Maud, the the jockey's valet, um, and Richard Johnson, presumably extremely well-intentioned, had tried to organise a meeting between Frost and Robbie Dunn in one of the physiotherapist rooms at Kempton Park. And the thought of that greatly upset Bryony Frost yesterday. The three panel members will ultimately have to decide if they are satisfied that the the charges leveled against Robbie Dunn have been uh, proven. Bryony Frost said of the isolation I felt for speaking out, I wouldn't wish on anyone. She gave examples of how that isolation, how that ostracism 
has been played out in the last year or so. And also she gave specific instances of occasions where Robbie Dunn's behaviour, in her opinion, hadn't been satisfactory. And that wasn't just the threats levelled against her after the, the Southwell race or some of the uh, expletives that Bronnie says were held at her, but she also spoke about instances where she said that Robbie Dunn had presented himself naked to female jockeys. So it was a difficult day. It ended with evidence from uh, the parents of Bryony Frost. They both spoke from home. There were, um, there were definite uh, implications within the, the case put by Roderick Moore that Jimmy Frost, Bryony's father, had maybe had more of a significant role in the uh, presentation and compilation of a witness statement than maybe uh, should have been the case. Um, it was also suggested that Jimmy Frost had been instrumental in organising that meeting that, uh, that Chris Maud tried to facilitate at Kempton. Now, Jimmy Frost denied that. Um, Mrs Frost then spoke. She, she spoke for a short while. And in some ways, one of the most interesting lines of the day came from Bryony Frost's brother, Nick Haddon Frost, who was a particularly successful jockey. He wrote a Cheltenham Festival winner. He actually sort of played down his, his achievements. Roderick Moore played them up. He was, very, he was very flattering of Hayden's um, talent. Now, Hayden is now in America. In analysing the, the situation in horse racing in, in, in a wider sense, he said there's a lot of bullying and harassment in racing, full stop. And it was an interesting line. It obviously tallied with, with the overall case. Roderick Moore attempted to say to him, well, you, you left racing, you said, for other reasons. Uh, hadn't said, well, you, you, you've got to be careful what you say when you work in racing. So we're, we're one and a bit days into this hearing. One would suspect there's still plenty more to go. I think we're going to start today with uh, more uh, witnesses uh, being called by Louis Weston, who's the barrister representing mm. uh, Bryony Frost. But where else it goes today at this stage, I don't know. But if it continues in the in the trend that we've seen so far, it's going to be a very important thing to watch, but not an easy thing to watch. Uh, there, there was a, a claim made or suggestions made of a, a counter threat uh, that came Robbie Dunn's way. How was that dealt with yesterday? Yeah, so um, Robbie Dunn um, has said in his witness statement that he was, was threatened, received a phone call shortly after the, the Southwell incident where someone threatened to, to, to cause him serious, serious harm. Um, that was suggested to, to Bryony Frost. She said she knew nothing about that. Um, she also said that she knew nothing about the 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 leaking of um, elements within this story to uh, some of the media prior to this. So um, that certainly was raised. And I imagine if we um, get questioning of Robbie Dunn at some point going forward, that that will be raised as well. And Lee, although only one of the seven charges against Robbie Dunn includes the word bullying, it was quite notable, it seems, that Roderick Moore, on Dunn's behalf, sought to spend quite a bit of time attempting to define exactly what bullying was and to differentiate it from something that might be perceived as less serious. That's right. I, I wonder if, if this line of questioning really hits home on the fact that the, the most powerful um, and the most emotional and potentially the most damaging of the, the charges against um, Robbie Dunn does relate to bullying because this idea of a male jockey bullying a younger female jockey I think is, is particularly uh, unpleasant and distasteful if that was proven and if that was uh, established by the panel that they think it had taken place. And you're right, Nick, Rod Roderick Moore 
did go down that line of questioning. Um, teasing doesn't necessarily equate to bullying, does it? He said at one point to her um, when uh, when later he was he was talking about the the social media posts that Rod B, Robbie Dunn had uh, put out about uh, Bryony Frost prior to the virtual Grand National in 2020 when he, he he mocked her in that post and he has apologised for that since then he says in his witness witness statement he regrets having done that Roderick Moore says my suggestion to you Miss Frost is that's not an act of bullying it was unprofessional and it doesn't reflect well on him but that's about it isn't it so that was a big thrust of the the more line uh, on on Wednesday that Bryony Frost hadn't been bullied she might have been mocked she might have been teased but she hadn't been bullied I think watching yesterday, it felt to me very clear that Bryony Frost feels she has been bullied. What happened in the High Court yesterday? Uh, Ryan Moore was, uh, was answering questions. Yes, he was. So three hours of what my colleague Chris Cook describes as forensic cross-examination in the High Court case, which is seeking to uh, establish whether Freddie Talitsky uh, should be eligible for significant compensation. In fact, a huge amount of compensation, £6 million he's... He's seeking to get from uh, Graham Gibbons in relation to uh, the fall at Kempton Park that resulted in Freddie Talitsky suffering uh, enormously seriously injuries, life-changing injuries. Ryan Moore was in the uh, in the hot seat yesterday, and he was questioned by the barrister representing Graham Gibbons, Patrick Lawrence QC. And as on Tuesday, when Patrick Lawrence sought to to question the neutrality of Jim Crowley when Jim Crowley had spoken about Greg Gibbons and the, the same sort of line of questioning was was directed towards Ryan Moore. Ryan Moore has produced or helped to produce a, a report with Freddie Talitsky's solicitors on the race and I think as a result of that Lawrence was saying that Ryan Moore's mindset had been changed and therefore the evidence that he was giving was influenced by that and by his sympathy for Freddie Talitsky. Interesting lines from Rymore, Nick. The whole thing has been tiresome and boring and sad. To be honest, it's a lose-lose either way, he said. When Patrick Lawrence uh, attempted to, to state him that he was uh, significantly uh, sympathetic towards Freddie Talitsky, Rymore ex- expressed sympathy for both parties. Um, and he also made clear his view crucially, that Graham Gibbons hadn't been riding in the way that he should have had at Kempton, that it was dangerous riding. He spoke of Graham Gibbons having had considerable tension on the right rein. And when it was suggested by Patrick Lawrence that the the way um, that Ryan Moore suggested Graham Gibbons should have been riding, i.e. allowing Freddie Talitsky through that gap, uh, when Lawrence suggested to Ryan Moore that he would never have behaved in that way. Ryan Moore retorted with respectfully, your suggestion is wrong. So Ryan Moore certainly stood his ground in the High Court yesterday. Uh, It sounds like it was uh, fascinating uh, viewing in there, watching Ryan Moore being cross-examined for a lengthy period of time. Jim McGrath, the former Channel 4 Racing, time former now Sky Sports Racing uh, broadcaster, uh, was in the the same uh, chair, in the same position, um, for the end of yesterday's session. He only really got going, so he'll be carrying on today, Nick, as that case very much continues. 
Well, yesterday saw the conclusion of the Tattersall's breeding stock sale. Gina Bryce was reporting for Tattersall's and she interviewed Peter Stanley from New England Stud after a very successful sale. And he was reflecting not only on the surprise that horses were making good money, but the implications further down the track for horses that are leaving the UK, as he sees it, in their in their droves. It makes for quite an interesting listen. Rather remarkable considering what's going on in the outside world. We've been very lucky. I don't think 18 months ago any of us would have predicted what is, what's happened. Uh, and the price of bloodstock has not only held up, has increased. And it's been a very, very extraordinary thing. But we're very lucky. Um, the things have worked out as well uh, as well as they've had. We've had some nice horses to sell. They've, so, they've, they've, they've sold well. And I think the market is... Um, it's in, a, it's in a remarkably good place. I mean, I think internationally is what you're seeing is the difference with certain countries, you know, Australia, Japan, America now building a really solid model. Uh, for me, the biggest tragedy is that Europe and the UK in particular is the home of the thoroughbred. It's where everything was invented. It was where it started. We should be world leaders. We're still right up there with them, but every year we're selling the family silver. You look at where these mares are going, they're not necessarily coming to board in the UK. They're going to fly, they're flying to Japan, they're going to Ireland. It's marvellous that we're part of a strong industry, but where will we be in 10 years' time? And I think the sadness is, we all know, we're running for no prize money. I think government looks at us and goes, oh, this is a successful industry, look at these record prices, look at what's going on. But we could be a, we could be a true world leader, we should be bringing these horses back here. You look at the list of stallions that are actually available in the UK. Uh, Oliver St. Lawrence does his very, his very good little brochure and it's what's terrifying they're in Ireland they're coming up in France increasingly and we are declining we're not increasing if you actually look at, at what's happened to our industry the full crop has declined Ireland has bounced back uh, and the UK has, has, has stayed falling and I don't think we'll be having these interviews in 10 years time about how strong how strong our industry is so we need to be very very careful we need government to understand that we could be world leaders we remain at the top of the world at the moment, but we are declining force. That was Peter Stanley talking to Gina Bryce at Tattersall's yesterday as their mayor's sale ended with great fanfare and great results, Lee. But, you know, Peter saying, well, this is great, but it's not sustainable if all, as he put it, all the family silver is being sold. You don't need to be a genius to work out that if you keep selling the best horses, the best breeding stock, you're not going to produce future stars in the, in, in the years to come. You certainly won't have the breeding stock to sell in, in 10 years' time or so. And it, it clearly is um, a serious issue. It's a, it's a perfect storm in the sense that a number of the leading owners are questioning their involvement in British racing. We know why, because prize money isn't great. But equally, there are other jurisdictions where things are incredibly strong. We read the other day about the, the enormous increases in French prize money, but the, the industries in, 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 the, in the Middle East, in, in, in Japan, are, are surging um, at the moment. So it's, it, it, Peter Stanley, what, what he says, um, I think should certainly not be dismissed. The, the, the numbers are clear. If you keep selling your best horses, you're going to be in trouble. Um, for all that that, that that British racing is um, an inferior product financially in terms of prize money, 
we always have been able to say that we still have the best racing in the world. If we stop losing the horses, we won't have the best racing in the world. So it's a, it's a serious warning by Peter Stanley, and it's not one that he's just conjured up out of thin air. And you did, you did work in this area last year, Lee, and one of the myths you exposed was the idea that more horses generally are leaving these shores when they are in training so you know more horses are being exported to hong kong and australia that's actually not the case and and in fact they represent a really interesting trading point and that's quite healthy for the industry what peter stanley's talking about here is losing your seed corn losing your potential to produce whereafter you're not actually going to have any trading points Absolutely, yeah. And I think that is the key to this. I think it's the key to what Peter Stanley is saying. It's the issue of breeding stock that is is the big issue. I mean, we did a, you say, Nick, a, a big special report looking at this, the question of whether we are a, a nursery for, for other racing nations. And that wasn't actually established. If you look at, say, Hong Kong, for example, our numbers have gone down there in terms of the numbers sold um, out of the country. Um, there, are, there are places where our horses are becoming increasingly attractive california for example loves our two-year-olds particularly fillies who, who go close in in maidens but a, a lot of the the exodus of horses in training relates every bit as much to ireland as it does to britain ireland obviously has better prize money in in a lot of instances than, than we do but their horses are being sold as much as ours i think obviously we're talking now at around the time of the breeding stock sales and i think the breeding stock issue is the particularly worrying one although anyone who was at the the yearling sales and the horses and training sales will have noted how many horses were going abroad um as well a horse who had a a fantastically productive campaign last year was the very talented first flow who was right up there amongst the best two mile chasers you'd probably call him a a staying two miler and kim bailey's opted for the two and a half miles of the fitstairs peterborough chase on Sunday at Huntingdon. Kim's with me now. Kim, I guess you could have gone to the Tingle Creek where he had an original entry. What's tilted you in Huntingdon's direction? Um, it, it was a very easy one, really. Um, the fact they got the word watered ground in it. Um, the horse is a soft ground horse um, and the thought of watered ground um, over two miles around Sandland really wasn't what I wanted to go and do. I mean, if the ground had been good to soft, soft in places, we'd have gone to Sandland, but see, it wasn't the case. So uh, the horse has been ready to run. He's been geared for this weekend. They've got slightly better conditions, or I hope they've got better conditions than Huntingdon. Um, and it, it opens up a slightly different um, area for me that if he does get the trip, it makes my job a little bit easier. Um, there's a slight discussion in the, in the, in the camp that uh, he will or won't get it. I think he will. David Bass says he won't. So probably he'll ride in to make sure he won't get it. Uh, right. I think I, I think I see what you mean. He's not going to change his natural game, though, is he, David, on this horse? David can't change his natural game, so the end, uh, I don't mean that rudely. One Iota, he draws the horse, and uh, yeah, the horse had run over two mile two, two mile three before at Ascot um, on both occasions on very soft ground. He's run well, but he hasn't won over it. Um, we have to find out, and not only that, but we are very, very limited as to where we can go. Um, there isn't another race now until the Carnival Chase at. Uh, 
uh, Weatherby, um, and that's not necessarily ideal either. Um, so we are on the lap of the gods. As I say, he's been ready to run, um, and this has been his weekend of targets. So you know, I don't really want to let him down. He's not the easiest horse to train at the best of times, so and we need to get a run into him. I mean, his signature career performance thus far was the Clarence House last year, where he thumped Belitalog by seven, racing post rating of 169. I mean, it, it, presumably, you want to go there. That will be obviously the next target, so therefore I, you know, it is important I get a race into beforehand. So um, you know it's quite a long way off yet, but uh, um, you know I, he's a, as we all know he's a horse that prefers soft ground. Um, but I've got to I've got to get him on the racetrack, and I mean they promised me at hunting that the ground will be will be as described, and uh, you know that's fine. He's not a heavy horse by any means. He just happens to go through soft ground better than most. And just a quick reflection on that performance at the Cheltenham Festival. Okay, sixth out of nine doesn't sound very flash, but he was not beaten very far. And given that he's got a marked preference for going right-handed, it was a it was a hell of a run in the circumstances. It was an extraordinary run because actually down the far side, David was virtually pulling him up, um, and he couldn't get him around the bends, um, and he was only beaten, I think, seven or eight lengths. Um, so it was an extraordinary. He is an extraordinary horse. He will run through a brick wall for you. Um, um, he, you know, he's a freak of nature in many respects. But uh, you know, I'm absolutely thrilled with him. Um, and uh, you know, we've we've had a we've, we've done a little back operation on him since last year, which is the latest fashionable thing to go and do, um, which might or might not help him as far as going left-handed is concerned. But I'm not planning to go and try that out quite yet. Kim Bailey there with high hopes for first flow, who's around about the seven to one mark for the Fitzdes Peterborough Chase at the weekend. Might be quite a big price. Very interesting race yesterday, Lee, won by a horse who's um, had a an extraordinary career that's that's gone on a long time and has taken all sorts of twists and turns, Black Lion. Yeah, it really has. Nick, I, I gave my tip yesterday in this race, Aso in the Veterans Handicap Chase. Well, I said there were a number of popular names in there. Well, Aso didn't quite manage to win, but one of the, the stars in the race very much did, Black Lion, who has been an absolute champion for a for a long time um, in jump racing, he was a, a star novice chaser. Um, he went very close at one point to to winning a grand. Well, I say he went very close, Nick. I remember the day at Aintree watching from the grandstands when he went clear on the run from the third last fence under Noel Feely. And you thought, this is a horse who's on his way to win the grand national. He didn't in the end. He, he got tired. Um, but this was Haydock yesterday for the first time since winning the 2017 Beecher Chase when he was trained by Nigel Twist and Davis. He was a winner again, now trained by Dan Skelton, racing in the colours of, of Darren Yates, the owner who, who won a fortune uh, thanks to Frank Latore's Magnificent Seven um, way back when. Uh, he was a winner at Haydock in the Veterans Chase. It was a tremendously popular victory. Um, people love seeing these these old horses. The veteran series has been a wonderful innovation to the sports. And at Haydock, on on soft, soggy Haydock ground on Wednesday, I think we had one of the best veterans races we've seen, and certainly one of the most popular winners. So, Lee, the Tingle Creek Chase this weekend is the is the highlight, no doubt. Even with the absence of Shishkin, we still have Shakan Pulsois, who has been declared this morning for the Tingle Creek with Patrick Mullins aboard. So a, another huge ride for him aboard Rich Ritchie's star two-mile chaser, and that's worth the ticket price alone. But just looking further ahead, Chacun Poursois will be opposed by two Paul Nichols runners as Nichols seeks to strengthen his extraordinary grip on this race. Hitman and Grenatine go for him. Brani Frost will ride Grenatine. She'll be on Frodon, of course, in the King George. He's likely to be one of three for the champion trainer in that race and he is putting the finishing touches to his horses for the big Christmas showpiece as he was telling us earlier this week isn't he? 
been adamant in recent seasons that it isn't all about the Cheltenham Festival. Um, and they aren't just words. He has put those words into action. You can look at a number of good horses and he won't necessarily just run them at the Cheltenham Festival if they think they have better targets elsewhere. And as it happens, um, the best horse in his stable at the moment, Clandis Oboe, is a horse who now Paul is adamant doesn't want to go to Cheltenham. He wouldn't be entered for the Cheltenham Gold Cup and did very well last season by not running at Cheltenham. He, of course, won the big races at Aintree and Punchestown. What he didn't win last season was the, was the King George. He'd won that the previous season, um, but I think Paul felt that last year, by running at Haydock in the Betfair chase, he had damaged his prospects at Kempton. Well, this season, Clannis Oba will go straight to the King George, a fresh horse. will go there as well with stable companion Frodon, likely to be ridden by Bryony Frost, of course, who'd won at Down Royal on his return. And both those horses look set to have a race course gallop before the, the King George. And when Paul sends horses for race course gallop, that tends to be to his local track, Wincanton. So if you happen to be walking past Wincanton one dark morning and you see a uh, a horse box arriving from Ditchit, then, then, then try and nip in and watch some superstars in action. Now, this week marks the second Racing is Everyone's Sport week. Racing is Everyone's Sport, a message to which we all subscribe for sure, but a campaign to support LGBT plus people in racing. David Letts is the chair of Racing with Pride, and he's been on this podcast a number of times. He joins me again. Good to chat to you, David. A little bit different this year, some new initiatives. I was particularly struck by the video that you've released, which features Jack Duern, an openly gay rider, and his very good friend, the jockey Josie Gordon. Exactly, yeah. So we started off the Racing is Everyone's Sport campaign on Monday, um, launching that video with Jack and, and Josephine. And I think it's really important to to give Jack that opportunity to to explain in his own words about his experience as as racing's um, only out gay jockey, um, and the importance of of having that allyship and that friendship um, within the weighing room. So that's how we we've we've kicked off the week with that positive story, really. Uh, and Josephine's part in that movie is is really is really important, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, and that's what this whole week's activity um, sort of aims to aims to encourage across the industry by asking people really to step up and, and say, what can you do? Um, and move the emphasis from the LGBT plus community pushing this forward to a collective um, a collective effort from the sport and all of its um, constituent parts, really. And you've got a really lovely platform this Saturday with racing at some incredibly high-profile venues, Sandown Atrium and, and elsewhere. Yeah, so I think it's really important that British racing... Um, we really celebrate the work that's been going on around LGBT plus inclusion through Race and with Pride's work throughout the year. Um, and this gives us the opportunity to join other sporting communities to say that we are working on this, we're aware of this and, and we're moving forwards. Um, so as you say, we've got some, uh, our main activation um, through Great British Racing's Racing's Everyone's Sport campaign at, over the weekend um, on Saturday we're activating at, at Aintree, Chepstow, um, Sandown, Weatherby and Wolverhampton. Um, so all of the, the British meetings on that Saturday. And those will include um, on-course branding. There'll be some races with um, Pride flag-inspired saddlecloths. Again, we'll be asking um, 
jockeys to to wear rainbow armbands in one race at each meeting and then spectators stable staff owners trainers there on the day will also be offered uh, pin badges to show their support for the campaign and i think although this is in line with stonewall's rainbow laces campaign the message is racing is everyone's sport and i think it resonates beyond simply lgbt plus inclusion and is a message that that racing can't really ignore that we need to um we need to be open to to accepting and engaging with people from all walks of life and david obviously last year was the first year with the the armbands that the, the jockeys were wearing and you got a an okay take up but perhaps not what what people would would really have liked and um, what was your what was your read on that yeah so i think um the impact of the jockeys wearing those armbands was was huge to racing with pride members and we had so much feedback um after the event from individual members of the lgbt plus community saying how much it impacted them that jockeys were showing their support so i think we can't underestimate that effort and actually when you look back at those um those races last year the take up in those initial races was i think 100 percent or nearly 100 percent so that's why we've gone with with one race um per meeting this year so you get that nice consistency of message but the jockeys don't have to keep worrying about changing the armband every time they change their silks which i guess is why it was getting a bit less effective by by race six or seven exactly and i think that was the bigger issue really was the logistics of of getting those armbands on and off and and uh, and there for each race so i don't think it was necessarily a, an issue with commitment or engagement from that population so i think it's just something that we need to um that we've addressed from last year um and hopefully we'll see that uh, that engagement from the jockeys this year which was so appreciated by the racing with pride network david lets their chair of racing with pride lee is with me to round off uh, a couple of pretty grueling days on this podcast hopefully by delivering you with a winner winner or two what do you what do you fancy today uh, a tip for today, Nick. Yeah, okay. So I, I can, can I give you one for the weekend as well? Um, you can give me whatever you like. Well, you're awfully kind. The rain has been pouring, it seems, in the north. And perhaps my favourite horse in training over jumps, Native River, will be going in the many clouds chase. Um, I would love to see him win that race. More immediately, Nick, I'm going to take you to Market Raisin. In the 122, the Mansion Bet Faller Insurance Novices Hurdle, not a bad little race, this. Lounge Lizard, I think, could be a decent horse, Penny David, this season. And I'm going to go for Lounge Lizard, ridden by Adrian Heskin in the 122 at Market Racing. And fingers crossed, Native River can deliver at Aintree on Saturday. We should have some wonderful racing across many venues. Uh, Lee, thanks so much. You've put in an unbelievable shift over the last couple of days. And I know you've got to go and do it all over again, but you are spared coming back on the pod for a few days. Um, Oh, thanks, Thanks to Lee. Thank you very much for listening. That was Thursday, December the 2nd. I will be back with Lydia tomorrow morning. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.